folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am very excited to talk about an actual team now, like an actual basketball team that Denver gets to face as opposed to the concept of a basketball team or an idea of a basketball team. Now Denver is fully ready to go. They will be facing the Miami Heat. In the NBA Finals, got to watch Game 7 yesterday, last night, and boy, was it pretty funny. I, I did the reverse jinx, uh, wanted to make sure that, that Miami was in this one, and, and that ultimately happened, and it was great to see. Really, really good for them to actually kind of get through that, and I'm just happy that, that Denver now has an opponent at, at this point, and it was pretty funny the way that things manifested with Miami and with Boston. Uh, Boston coming back all the way from 3-0 to tie that thing up and go to 7. And it is hilarious, I think, that Denver now, uh, they are, like, they're doing what they can, I guess, to uh, now now prepare for the Miami Heat. They, they had done a split game preparation yesterday. They talked about that at media day, or media, media session uh, with Malone and KCP and Michael Porter. Uh, they've got another media session planned uh, this afternoon at 1. I'll be going to that one for sure. We'll try to get some insights from that. But uh, between those conversations, which can now be focused entirely on the Miami Heat, and just paying attention to last night, I, I have some takes. I, I have some takes on the Heat. I have some numbers for you. I have a lot of stuff that I think everybody should be excited about. Going to try to change up the format of the podcast a little bit to try to showcase a little bit more on, on the live show. So if you are listening to the audio side of this, make sure to check out the live and, and check out the associated graphics that I'm, I'm going to have pop up. Nothing nothing too special here, but I do think that it should be very interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to get into this. We're going to do two segments today. First will be more series by the numbers, and the next is going to be some of the important battlegrounds that that can go through and talk about the Nuggets and the Heat, and talk about where these teams have advantages, where these teams have disadvantages, and just what that's ultimately going to look like. Uh, but first, let's go series by the numbers here. And Michael, if you can go to that other uh, format here, I'm going to click on this slide and add this to the stream. Hey, there we go. Uh, we've got a we've got a graphic here. We've got we've got some numbers. We've got some numbers to actually look at. Uh, everything that people should know about the Nuggets versus the Heat net rating is actually, I think, a pretty interesting one here. If you if you look at the net rating tab that's in the graphic on the screen, uh, plus nine point two for Denver throughout these throughout this postseason, uh, and then the postseason actually includes the play in games for the Miami Heat. They lost their first play in game to drop to the eighth seed, and then won against Chicago in what was a winner go home game. And that was hilarious to me because like they, they've still managed to be the second rated team in the entire postseason for I mean obviously that's what you would hope for if you were making it to the NBA Finals. But uh the gap there is the big deal. Plus nine point two for Denver, plus three point four for Miami. Part of that is to do with the competition that the Heat have played. They've played some pretty good teams. Uh I think that Milwaukee, great team, obviously, especially during the regular season. They were the one seed in the entire NBA, not just in the Eastern Conference. 
And seeing Miami completely dismantle them, I think, kind of takes away from the fact that the Bucks were a great team. Miami just had their number completely. And Miami just, they, Giannis and, and the Bucks did not know what to do with the Miami Heat at all in that series. They could not guard them. They could not jump out to the three-point line and, and actually protect the, protect the three-point line that way. And that's how the Bucks lost that series. But the Heat also kind of dismantled the New York Knicks and the Boston Celtics in, in, in a variety of ways. And I think the coming back from 3-0 masquerades the fact from that Miami actually had Boston on the ropes up 3-0. And they had uh, New York on the ropes up 3-1 in that series. Like in each of their series, they were at least at 3-1 and, and have really done a great job. Uh, throughout this playoffs of of doing some different things. But you can see the gaps there between these two teams in general that, look, Denver's just had the more dominant, like, margins of victory. They haven't had, they've had fewer opportunities where they've really slipped up. And to me, that that stands out when trying to talk about Miami. It stands out when trying to talk about what level of team Denver is about to face here. Uh, Offensive rating-wise, Denver is far and away the best team in the NBA right now. But defensive rating, you would expect a team like Miami to be higher than Denver, and they are, but it's only its percentage points here. This is a, a three-pointer here, uh, a dunk here, and and like that's that's the margin right now in the games that those teams have played. So really interesting to see that that Denver and Miami, at least to this point, have had pretty comparable defenses or at least defensive success. What Miami's had so far that has really helped them is on in games where they really play well, they shoot the ever living hell out of the ball, and they actually they do get some really strong defensive performances individually, but they aren't as like dominant game to game on the defensive end as as I think their reputation would proceed. So let's now go uh, four factors here. I'll, I'll, I'll I've got this on a different page. Uh, Denver's four factors, obviously, first in offense, ninth in defense. But on the offensive side, they are second in effective field goal percentage, second in turnover percentage, ninth in offensive rebounding, and ninth in free throw rate. Those are top half uh, in those latter two categories, but top two in effective field goal percentage and, and limiting turnovers. And that's a great thing that they do. Because the Miami Heat, they want to turn you over. They have done a great job. They're a top five turnover generating team as a percentage of the possessions for the offense in the entire postseason so far. So that's a big deal uh, from this perspective. And Denver's got to, they've got to make sure to take care of the basketball. That will be a big, big deal. Um, But on the other side, this is uh, Miami Heat. Uh, On the other side, the Miami Heat four factors are are also impressive from the offensive standpoint. Fifth in effective field goal percentage, so top five there. Eighth in turnover rate, 13th in offensive rebounding rate, and 11th in free throw rate. So they don't really have any major weaknesses on the offensive end because that 13th is out of 20 uh, due to the postseason teams. But really their average in those categories as well as the turnover rate, and then they're a top five shooting team. That's what you really need to pay attention to. Miami can shoot the they can shoot the lights out. They have that capability. They have a lot that they can do. 
And it's not a surprise to me that they made it this far when they're they're shooting as hot as they are. And Boston was liable to give up some open shots. And Milwaukee, same thing. Uh, New York, not not a disciplined team, New York. Uh, so it's not a surprise that they were able to get that done. And I think it, it's just, it's been a very impressive run for the Heat. They, they deserve a lot of credit. Defensive side for, for Miami, though, uh, they are 10th in EFG allowed, so average. But the categories where they've really shined in, in all three are uh, they generate more turnovers, top five in uh, turnover percentage forced. They don't allow a ton of offensive rebounds. They're sixth and uh, in sixth in defensive rebounding rate. And then they're seventh in free throw rate, rate allowed. So they actually, the, e- the EFG that they allow, it's made up for and then it's made even better by the fact that they do everything else really well, all the detail stuff really well. They get into and force turnovers. They don't let you get extra possessions, or at least they have it to the teams so far. And then they don't foul. They they avoid the free throws. And that's such a big deal when you are a playoff team. Uh, because what you're trying to what you're trying to do there, what you're trying to avoid is free and easy points for the opposition. You're trying to make things as difficult as possible. And they did that. They did that against Milwaukee, against New York, against Boston. Boston never had easy possessions, and, and that was a, a really big deal, I think. On the other side, uh, Denver and the, their four factors defensively. Uh, I mentioned their offensive four factors offensively, so so I apologize. That was second in EFG, second in turnover percentage, ninth in offensive rebounding, ninth in free throw rate. Uh, Denver on the defensive side, though, is 13th in EFG allowed, so a little bit worse than Miami, but that's 0.2% worse, so it's not it's not crazy. Problem is that Denver's 18th out of 20 in turnover percentage forced, which that's not a great sign where you're you're trying to generate those extra points and uh, at least from turning defense into offense and that's a that's an issue. Denver's had a tough time forcing turnovers for the opposition. But Denver's great. They are elite at defensive rebounding. They're third in offensive rebounding rate allowed uh, at 22%. That's really really good. And then 13th in free throw rate. So they're a little bit more below average in some of those other categories defensively. And then it's carried by the fact that they rebound every single miss. Uh, Some of that is because the Lakers were able to put some pressure on them from an offensive standpoint that even though Denver like could not be stopped offensively, the Lakers were able to generate some really good scores, uh, some really good possessions on them and easy baskets. And Phoenix did the same thing in in a variety of ways. And, And actually Minnesota did the same thing in a variety of ways. And uh, Denver, they're, they're going to have to tighten up those details a little bit on defense. They're going to have to force a little bit more turnovers. They're going to have to avoid fouling if they can. Although I do think that playing the Lakers probably affects that free throw rate just a little bit. Uh, but Denver, though, I, I do think is set up to guard a team like Miami reasonably well, just from a numbers perspective. And we can talk about why. Uh, but more details that... I think are important here. Miami's primary rotation, what I have it as is their top six guys. And and I looked this up and and tried to give some good perspective. This is Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, and Kyle Lowry. So they're uh, 
five starters that, that they have out there pretty consistently, plus Kyle Lowry, who's their sixth man. The average size of those players is six foot four point eight. So like just under six five, just a hair under. Then they have other guys that they've kind of mixed and matched. Kevin Love uh, started games at times, and he may go back to starting, depending on the size that Miami needs to try to guard Denver's front court. Uh, he's six eight. Duncan Robinson is six seven. Cody Zeller is six eleven, and Haywood Highsmith is six seven. Those are the other four guys that they've kind of messed around with and, and played rotation minutes. And that's that's brings their average up a little bit because those guys are, are a little bit taller. But, I mean, Caleb Martin's 6'5", Max Struess is 6'5", Gabe Vincent is, they list him at 6'3", I doubt that he's 6'3". Kyle Lowry, they list him at six foot flat. So it, there's not a lot of, like, big players within their rotation. Jimmy Butler is their nominal power forward size player and, and Bam Adebayo is their center size player. At least that's how they played against Boston. Conversely, Denver, their primary rotation, I have it as the six guys that play the most for them. And and Jeff Green's in the rotation every single night, but he's he's not like he's not a, a big piece of it from a uh from a minute standpoint. Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, KCP, and Bruce Brown. Those guys are all what I would consider their primary rotation with Jeff Green and Christian Brown kind of on the fringes in that similar conversation as Kevin Love, Duncan Robinson, Cody Zeller, Haywood Highsmith options. And that brings Denver's rotation size to 6'7", which is just a bigger team. And I think if you if you went through it and, and looked at Boston's rotation, it would be slightly smaller than what Denver's rotation is. Maybe not that much smaller, but... I think the positions that matter at center, at the power forward and small forward, like the way that Denver kind of plays here, they have some more size that Miami's going to struggle with a bit. Now, Milwaukee had size. Milwaukee had pretty big players, and it didn't mean a damn. And that's just kind of what this looks like. That's kind of what this is going to feel like. It's going to be really interesting to see whether they are able to take advantage of that size and, and how much they're going to be able to do so. Milwaukee couldn't really score on the interior from any level of efficiency. They couldn't create efficient shots. Denver, I think, will be able to because they have uh, one of the best zone breakers in the entire NBA in Nikola Jokic and, and one of the better offenses. Milwaukee didn't have a good offense this year, and that was kind of lost on a lot of people. But it should be very interesting to see what they do. A um, couple more things here. Top scores. Top scores for Miami. And actually, let's let's go to this next slide. This is Denver. Excuse me. This is Miami and, and how they score. Uh, I wanted to put this here because I thought that this was a good perspective on, on where these points are coming from and and kind of a, a good way for Nuggets fans to really appreciate what they do well, what Miami does well. Just looking at the chart here, the corner three percentage and the above the break three percentage are big deal. They are a big deal for guarding the Miami Heat. They are going to hit shots. Now, they're not going to bomb away from a frequency standpoint. They're, they're relatively frequent, but actually PPP stats measures that by out of 16 teams. So that's basically average in terms of the amount of frequency that they're going to have. Miami is pretty balanced in terms of wanting to get to the rim, wanting to take threes. They'll settle for some floaters, 
but they they're definitely going to be okay with with the long twos. Those are the the frequency that you're looking for here. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's just pretty clear to me that that you got to be able to protect the three point line when you are guarding Miami. They are willing and able to take those shots, hit those shots, and even Jimmy Butler, who's not really known for his outside shot, just kind of turns into a better shooter in the playoffs. That's just what he does, uh, which is obviously not something that a lot of teams really game plan for here, but that's just what happens. That's just that's just how they do it. And I think that if you are Miami, if you are trying – or no, like if you're trying to go at Denver's defense, you're going to try to space out Nikola Jokic and you're going to try to uh, – you're going to try to – get to the rim by spacing everything out. You're going to try to spread the floor. You're going to try to get four shooters surrounding Bam Adebayo. You're going to run pick and roll. You're going to try to force Denver to send extra help. And then you're going to rotate behind and try to hit those corner threes, those above the break threes off the rotation. That's what the the ultimate goal of that is going to be. Denver, they're going to try to defend two on two. They're going to try to force those, those long twos or those floater zone shots. Uh, Floater zone, 13th in field goal percentage. That's a good way for Denver to try to uh, good way for Denver to try to make Miami's offense less efficient. If they can continue to force Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, even uh, any of the guards off the dribble for Miami, if you, if you're not allowing them to get to the rim, then you're doing your job. So that would be my statement there. Um, and then how Denver scores points. Uh, by the way, uh, it came out last night that Tyler Hero apparently targeting a game three return to try to help out a little bit, and, and he could be necessary in a in a series like this where Denver probably has too much firepower for Miami to really keep up with. But with Tyler Hero, it g- gives you another option to play around with, and, and they're pretty shallow as it is from a a perspective of players that you you need to have on the court. So. Should be interesting to see if, if Tyler Hero does come back. But how Denver scores points on, on, on this end, obviously you've got Jokic and Murray who are carrying the load at the bottom. Jimmy Butler previously, he was the only guy. Let me just go back to that real quick so everybody can see on the screen. Uh, Jimmy Butler, 28.5 points. Bam Adebayo, 16.8. Martin, 14.1. Vincent, 13.1. Uh, Struce, 10.3. Robinson, 9.8. And Lowry, 8.8. So, Kyle Lowry's not your your main scorer anymore. If you are uh, paying attention to Miami, Gabe Vincent's has really taken up his role, and Caleb Martin just had a, a massive game seven. So they have role players that are capable of stepping up, but the real fulcrum is Butler, and Adebayo has is actually surprisingly low in terms of the actual points that he creates. I'm I'm sort of shocked by that in general, but uh, on Denver's side of things, if you go back to that. Jokic and Murray are carrying the day. 29.9 for Jokic, 27.7 for Murray. And then if you're looking at the rest of the rotation, you've got four guys. It's Porter, it's Gordon, it's Brown, it's KCP, all averaging between 11 and 14 points per game. Next up on that list, by the way, is Jeff Green at 3.6, 3.8, one of the two. Uh, so Denver, they, they get their scoring from six guys. And the primary scoring comes from Jokic and Murray. Those guys right now are combining for over 57 points a game, which is nuts. That is pretty impressive. Uh, and and it's that's going to be something that Denver's going to have to figure out for sure. But 
because uh, they're going to they're gonna need more than just Jokic and Murray in this series. Uh, the way that Miami likes to defend, they're going to go zone pretty often, and it's going to put the pressure on KCP. It's going to put the pressure on Michael Porter, on Aaron Gordon circling around the uh, the the rim a little bit, sometimes spacing out to the corner. There's going to be a lot for those guys to be able to do, and because I just don't think that Miami's going to be able to stop Denver by going man. And they're probably not going to stop them by going zone either, but they're going to mix in a healthy dose of both, trying to confuse Denver as much as they possibly can. And it's it's going to be interesting to see whether the scoring breakdown continues to look like this, or if Porter gets going a little bit, if Gordon gets going a little bit, maybe KCP gets some open shots in this series and, and really needs to hit them. But going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do. Uh, but in general, I think that's going to do it on the, on the stats side, on the numbers side. So I'm going to remove this. Michael, can you go back to the other layout if possible? Um, going to remove that. Perfect. And when we come back, we are going to discuss uh, other important battlegrounds of the series, more anecdotal uh, from the perspective of like how I, how I feel the series is going to go as opposed to what the numbers are telling me. Uh, but first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. There you are. All right. Bring that big bet energy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name right now in sports betting. And right now you can use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to 250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH, get 250 bucks, courtesy of Superbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and roll. Sorry about that, folks. That was was not my intention to uh, to just leave everybody hanging like that. But my uh, my read just it's it's gone. It's it's just it's never never. I'm never gonna see it again, and that's fine. Um, Pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Uh, If you're watching along, would really appreciate you dropping a like on on the podcast. I see some likes flowing in already. Really appreciate that. Uh, Got a big run. This is episode 489 for me on Pickaxe and Roll. Just wanted to uh, throw that out there. 500 is coming up really soon. There's an outside chance that episode 500 comes on the day that Denver wins the NBA title. And that would be very, very cool to see. Uh, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to play that by ear. And, and whether that actually works out or not, we'll, we'll, we'll not try to force it or anything, but it is pretty interesting to think about. So. Thank you so much for all the support. Gonna gonna get very emotional on on uh, on, on doing the pod. So let's uh, let's talk about important battlegrounds now, though. Uh, this is kind of where I think about matchups. This is where I think about keys to success. This is where I think about what Denver's going to try to do, what Miami's going to try to do, how you counter it, 
how you try to avoid some of the things that the other team is doing in order to just continue having success. And, and I think the first one has got to be who guards Nikola Jokic. On the, on the surface, I think it's pretty clearly just going to be Bam. Like, Bam Adebayo is the, he's a great defender, a really, really strong defender. Didn't have as great of a defensive year this year, but not really a surprise given the pressure that they've put on him to carry the load as the only big guy on their team, really. Uh, they have other guys, like they've, they've got other players like Cody Zeller, somebody who they brought in during the middle of the season. Kevin Love is somebody who they brought in during the middle of the season. They're playing Omer Yurt seven. Uh, that's uh that's a that's a name that they'll probably not throw out there during the finals, but wouldn't surprise me if they try to offer up another big body. But the thing that I mentioned about the size and, and something that I think is extremely important for Denver to try to exploit here is that if you've got one big man on the other side that you really trust guarding a player like Nikola Jokic, then okay, that guy, if you get him into foul trouble, if you work him over, if you if you prove it that that's not a good matchup for the opposing team and then they have to change up what they're doing, that could be the pressure point that Denver puts on first. And it wouldn't surprise me if they test that pressure point initially. I don't think they're going to ease into the finals here. I think that that's going to be part of the game plan is see what Bam has for Nikola Jokic. You don't want to overdo it if it's not working, uh, but I think it'll work. I, I think that that's one where Jokic has proven against whether it's Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns or DeAndre Ayton or Anthony Davis and even Rui Hachimura at times that he, he's good for any matchup. He's He's going to be just the same old joker in any matchup. He's capable of hitting these crazy shots. He's capable of hitting easy shots and creating easy shots for himself and others. And that's really the ultimate factor here is he's the best player in the series. As great as Jimmy Butler has been, Jokic is the guy. Jokic is the guy that everybody nationally is going to be looking at. Everybody on, on both ends is going to be saying, okay, that player, he's the best guy. He's going to determine the series. And if Jokic proves to be unstoppable, it will make things so much easier for Denver. Now, this kind of leads into the man versus zone argument as well. Or even like, hey, does Jimmy Butler guard Jokic? And, or do they change up their starting lineup? Do they put Kevin Love in the game? And do they put Kevin Love on Jokic and have Bam Adebayo roaming off of Aaron Gordon? I think that that's a recipe for disaster if I'm, if I'm Miami. I think that that's something that I would not try to do. Like Butler can battle him for like stretches, but Butler is so important on the offensive end that you don't want him having to battle with Jokic because there's a difference between Jimmy guarding Giannis and Jimmy guarding Jokic. With Giannis, it's just, hey, you have to stand up to the brick wall. Like you have to be the brick wall that Giannis has to run through. And with Jokic, it's a little bit like it's not – as like there, there are different types of exhausting, but Jokic is just capable of shooting the five foot hook shot over the top of you, while Giannis is not. So there's there's differences there, and I just don't think that Miami is going to have much of an answer for what Jokic can do, and that that might change. Like maybe we get into the series, and Bam is perfectly fine guarding Jokic, and they and Denver's got to figure some other stuff out. 
but I do think, um, <laughs> yeah, Samantha says here, a uh, direct quote from Bam on, on guarding Nikola Jokic. I don't even know how to describe that um, because it's just so different. It's just so weird. And and yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot there. They're going to try to guard Jokic one-on-one. They're going to try to double. They're going to try to zone. They're going to try to switch up the matchups and bracket him. They're going to do a lot of different things. I just don't think it's going to matter that much. And if it doesn't matter that much, then Denver already has a leg up in the series, for sure. Next is who guards Jimmy Butler. And I'm going to kind of go back and forth between offense and defense here. I think that's important to factor in both of these and and give Miami the proper respect that they deserve. And Jimmy Butler clearly deserves the respect. 28.5 points per game. That's a fantastic number. He deserves a ton of credit for his ability to step up in this moment and has stepped up at pretty pretty much every single moment within these playoffs. And it took him until Game 7 in, the, in this uh, in this conference finals, but he ultimately got it done, and Miami got it done as a result. So I think that it's going to be interesting. One of the things that I, I wrote about yesterday when talking about this series and, and what Denver's advantages would be, what the benefits of playing Miami would be, is that Denver does have a bunch of guys that can, I think, not capably, but at least credibly guard Jimmy Butler, whether that's KCP, um, who's their primary wing defender, whether it's Aaron Gordon, who's their big wing and, and big forward defender, somebody who like would probably get the primary matchup on Jimmy, at least at the beginning, and we'll see what it ultimately turns into. But that's one where I wouldn't be surprised if, if Aaron, after guarding Kevin Durant, after guarding LeBron, after guarding uh, Anthony Edwards at times, but mostly Carl Anthony Towns, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to guard Jimmy Butler and would probably do a pretty decent job. Now, that's what other teams have said about guarding Jimmy Butler, and they haven't really had success. But I do think that Aaron Gordon's a better defender on Jimmy specifically than anybody that Boston could really throw on him. Like Tatum couldn't really do it. J- uh, Jalen Brown was getting hunted. Uh, the small guards that they had, whether not small guards, but like Marcus Smart, Derek White, those guys were fine, but they weren't really big enough. And, and Smart has lost a step for sure uh, trying to do that. And he had to chase around some of the other guys that they had. Uh, Denver has the capability to put their power forward on Miami's power forward. And that's a really good sign. But even if you get switched, like, Jamal will battle him in the post. It won't be perfect, but he'll do a credible job kind of like what, I don't know, Jalen Brown was doing. Those guys are pretty equivalent. Uh, Michael Porter will probably do a better job than what he did. And because of Michael Porter's size, he'll probably be able to contest those shots without fouling. He'll commit some fouls because Michael Porter is going to foul Jimmy Butler. That's just going to be what happens. But uh, KCP will do a better job than somebody like maybe a Marcus Smart. Like He'll he'll probably be in that, that, that tier of Derek White and Marcus Smart. But then off the bench, you've got Bruce Brown, you've got Christian Brown, you've got Jeff Green. Those are different options that you can go to throughout a series, and and that's at least somebody that's capable of doing it. And it should be interesting to see what they ultimately do, what it ultimately looks like. I am very curious to see what happens. Uh, Dehan says here, just do not double Jimmy. And I, I actually agree with that. I think that you want Jimmy to... You want him to score... You do not want him to be creating these open shots for these other for his other teammates, whether it's Struess, whether it's Duncan Robinson, 
whether it's Gabe Vincent uh, or even Caleb Martin. You don't want those guys to be like consistently getting into double figures all the time uh, because that just makes it more difficult. But I do think like that there's 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 levels to it. Like sometimes you can double and try to live with it, but sometimes you you definitely shouldn't. Like I don't think you double Jimmy Butler at home. Like or no, I don't think you double Jimmy Butler on the road. I think you try to let him score forty uh, when he's in his own building, and maybe you double those shooter double off of those shooters a little bit when you're in Denver because it's a little bit of a different field, and they're probably not going to shoot as well on the road versus at home. So, will be interesting to see how they ultimately do it. But I, I think that there's at least an argument for both. Like, but I do think that Denver has at least some capable matchups here. Next, can the Miami Heat slow down Jamal Murray at all? Uh, Jamal's averaging 27 a night, like 27, 28 points a night. If he continues to average that, Miami's probably cooked. Like That's probably what's going to happen. Like I think that Jokic will probably average about 30 points a night. Is Jamal Murray going to do something similar? If that's the case, then they're probably in trouble. I think that the way that the Heat play Denver is probably going to open up things for Denver's role players. It would not surprise me if Jamal goes back to averaging about 24, 25 points a game in this series. It's not going to be 27, 28. It might be, and maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe they maybe they dare him. Maybe they put somebody like a Gabe Vincent on him or a Max Struess on him, and they're like, okay, go. Yeah, you, you, you do you. We will dare you to do it. The problem is that every time Jamal's been dared to score, every time he's been been asked to do that. He's been perfectly capable of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that, but they don't really have a great matchup for Jamal. Like they have some guys that can go on him on occasion. Like Gabe Vincent will be annoying. Max Struess will chase him around. He'll work really hard. Jimmy Butler is obviously Jimmy Butler. Like when he's up for it and capable, he'll probably guard Murray at various points. But I just don't think that they are going to have a ton of options on him which means I think they're probably going to show him a little bit more resistance with their role player, with their with their help side guys, with everybody trying to shrink the floor a little bit, make things a little bit difficult on the driving lane side. So if that's the case, Murray's going to have to make some good passes. He's going to have to set up the team. and Or sometimes they're just going to have to outlet it to Jokic, and then Jokic is going to have to be the fulcrum. That's something that they do a lot, where if Jamal feels a lot of pressure, then he'll get the ball to Jokic on a, on a dump off really quick. And then everybody cuts around that. And then usually Porter's open or KCP's open or, or Gordon's cutting under the rim. And then Jokic gets the assist, but it's basically a hockey assist for Murray because of how much attention he's drawing already. So going to be interesting to see what they ultimately do. But I, I think that if I had to predict it, Murray's probably going to average like 24, 25 a night. And they will try to live with that. Next, can Denver guard the rim and the three-point line? This is one where I I found this pretty interesting when looking up numbers for PvP stats. Uh, But when I just go back to uh, the shooting data for, like, I'm going back on cleaning the glass here just to get as much info here as possible. The Heat don't take a ton of uh, shots at the rim and a ton of threes, like, from from a percentage standpoint. Like I mentioned, their their shot chart is pretty balanced. They don't overload, shoot on on any one specific 
uh, area of the floor. Like they will, they will work the ball around. They'll like Jimmy's capable of attacking on both the left and right side of the floor. He'll go from the top. Uh, Bam will be in floater zone range, and then they'll try to get back cuts for layups and things like that. Uh, but they'll also try to run DHOs around the perimeter with their shooters. They have a pretty wide variety of actions that they like to go to. Uh, so can Denver force them into the mid-range? Can they allow those shots? Or if they are going to allow shots at the rim and at the three-point line, can they contest those well enough that it's not an issue? I, I think that's it's at least an open question as to whether Denver can do that against a team as battle-tested as Miami is. I think that they've they've earned the right, uh, Miami has, the, the benefit of the doubt here to say that, look, Denver is going to have to work for this. They are not going to go quietly into the night. Miami will not. Uh, Jimmy is going to continue fighting. Bam is going to continue fighting. And if their shooters continue to get hot, I believe they are shooting 42% on catch and shoot threes right now, then that's an issue. That's obviously something that Denver's going to have to close out to. Now, Denver, to their credit so far in these playoffs, hasn't allowed a ton of catch and shoot threes. Like that's Part of that is the style of the teams that they've played. Uh, and, and I think that it's one of the reasons why I'm happy that they're facing Miami as opposed to Boston. Miami doesn't jack up a bunch of threes. They're really good at the threes that they do take, and, and they have guys that are, are well accustomed to taking those shots. But Boston is just going to yeet them from three. Like they, they have a, a high percentage of, like, high percentage frequency of taking shots from distance. And Denver, to this point, has faced a bunch of teams that are either average or, or way worse at the three-point frequency metric. So that's something where if, if you are a Nuggets fan, you're happy to see Miami because you know that Denver can at least credibly guard the rim and the three-point line against a team like Miami, or at least that's what you think going into it. So we'll see if that holds up, but that's something that I am thinking about for sure. Two more before we get out of here. Uh, which team's role players are more consistent? Which of these teams is going to have guys that step up more consistently? If you look at the Miami side, Caleb Martin won them game seven. Like he was unbelievable in that game. Let me just pull up the box score of that game just so I'm not uh, spouting out crazy stuff. But Caleb Martin goes for 26 points in that game on 11 of 16 from the field in 45 minutes. It's just an absolutely insane shooting performance from him. Four of six from three. And he didn't even take any free throws to get there. Like he was, just, he just made shots, made buckets, and hit some turnaround baskets and, and things like that. So, like these, are, these are tough buckets. And Denver's going to have to contest those shots better than Boston was able to. Uh, Jimmy Butler's going to get his. Bam Adebayo had a, I think a, not a bad game. Like it was, it was a subpar, like a bad offensive game by his standards. But he ultimately still had seven assists, and he's setting up players like a Gabe Vincent, like a Max Struess, Duncan Robinson. Twenty minutes off the bench gets ten points on four of six, two of three from three. Like all of those guys are capable of stepping up, but Caleb Martin was the guy who stepped up the most in Game Seven. Now for Denver, they've had different players in different times where they've been able to step up for sure throughout these playoffs, whether it's Michael Porter. I talked about him in the first round of the playoffs, like just stepping up when when need be. Aaron Gordon, uh, game four, this last game, 21 points, eight of 13 from the field, three of five from three. That's a big time shooting number 
for for Aaron Gordon. And then KCP, timely shooting whenever you need him. Bruce Brown, timely shooting whenever you need him. Those guys have been able to step up and, and do that probably more consistently than Miami's guys have. But the problem is that they have a ton of role players that they can go to. Denver right now, they've got the four primary. Like So they've got Jokic and Murray. You've got Porter, KCP, Gordon, and Bruce Brown. That's your six. And then Jeff Green and Christian Brown, that's eight. And that's it. Like That's all Denver's really trusted. And, and they might go to – they'll probably start with Christian Brown in the rotation in game one. And whether that sticks or not, we'll just we'll just have to see. But I do think that Denver's going to have to get consistent stuff from those guys. And, and if they don't, then it's going to be very, very curious to see what – Denver actually does. Can Jokic and Murray carry the day in that case? Or is Denver kind of up a creek? I trust Denver's role players. I trust Denver's ability to uh, to be able to step up in those moments. I think on Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, KCP, like these guys are all ready for that moment. There's no doubt in my mind that they are. But if it's about consistency and, and Miami's role players have been shooting 40, like 42% on catch and shoot threes, that's good enough. Like that, that if they carry that through, that could be really difficult for Denver to overcome. So, I am very curious to see what they ultimately do. And then last one, Denver can't fall in love with a three pointer. I was looking at numbers before this. Denver at this point, so actually, no, I'm, I'm now Miami after this last game. By the way, is shooting forty three percent on catch and shoot threes. So that's cool. That's a that's definitely a thing. Uh, but back to this. Denver can't fall in love with a three-pointer because if they do, then they are not going to get the value shots that they need. Boston did not shoot a great three-point percentage against Miami, but they were bombing. They didn't really have any other choice. They Their shots dried up in Game 7. They did not play well. They did not operate well, and they could not do anything else driving into the paints. They turned the ball over, lost the ball. They couldn't get anything at the rim, really, and that was a big issue for Boston in this final series, was that they they didn't really have any functional offense outside of bombing from three. Denver obviously doesn't have that. Jokic is amazing at making sure that the offense is diverse. It is getting guys to the rim. It's, It's using cuts. It's generating open threes, but the shots are easier in a lot of different ways, and I think that in general, what Miami has done to the other teams that they've faced so far, with Boston, with Milwaukee, with New York, is they've cut off the rim by playing a lot of zone, by playing a lot of defenses where it's really hard to score on the interior. And they have stared teams, basically. All right, outshoot us. Outshoot us if you want to. And none of the teams that they face faced so far have been able to do that. Denver can't. Like Denver's absolutely capable of doing so. If you look at it, like Denver's first in three-point percentage. They are first and above the break three-point percentage, and they take a lot of sh- not they don't take a ton of shots from there, but they have the best shooting. Uh, if you're talking about the league and you're talking about what what they're actually trying to accomplish, Denver's above the break threes. They're shooting forty point seven percent in the playoffs, which is first in the NBA. By a long shot. Miami's defense, uh, teams are shooting only 30.6% 
against Miami above the break so far. How often are they getting them? Let's just look at it here. They're getting them a fair amount. Like they're getting a, a, a decent amount of these shots above the break. So to me, that is a that is a situation where Denver's going to like that. They're probably going to have success with that. There's no doubt in my mind that they're going to win a game or two because KCP comes off of screens and or like sets up on the on the top of the key and, and then hits a contested three. Uh, Nikola Jokic hits a pick and pop three. Jamal Murray hits a three because Bam's in drop trying to avoid Jokic rolling to the rim. Michael Porter will get some coming off of screens. Denver's going to have a lot of threes that they generate above the break, and they're going to have success with it. I do believe that. But the key to beating Miami is to break their interior. It's to pick apart their zone. It is to pick apart Bam Adebayo, given that he's 6'9", and it's to break their will on the inside. You're always going to be able to get threes. I firmly believe that. But if you don't get enough shots on the inside, it's going to make it easier for Miami, and there are going to be times where those shots don't drop. And then you're leaving yourself open to runouts. You're leaving yourself open to easier shots on the other end where you get some and ones in transition, and that's a really big issue. Uh, I do think that this is ultimate, like the three is ultimately an advantage for Denver here. Like they, they are going to be able to do it for sure. But I do think that in general, like Denver's got to put pressure on them. They can't settle. Like part of what's going on here, Miami's just went through a grueling series. They've gone through Eastern Conference Finals. They'll have two off days, then they're going to altitude and they're going to have to run in Denver. What you cannot do if you're the Nuggets is settle for threes and make it easy on them. You got to make them guard. You got to make them defend. You got to go crash the glass. You have to go draw fouls. There's going to be a lot that you can do to tire out that team. And if you allow them to breathe, then that's going to be a recipe for disaster. I think Denver should be favored in this game or in this series. I think that Denver should be pretty strong favorites in game one. I'm not going to put anything past Miami to be able to take care of it, to be able to actually upset the apple cart here. But I do think that Boston was a very flawed team. I do think Miami, uh, Milwaukee was a very flawed team. And they got passes because of the number, like the regular season numbers that they put up. Denver, the actual rotation that they've built and the actual style of play that they've built has translated to the playoffs better than any team's style of play, especially with Denver working as hard as they have. And now that they've had several days off, you have to win game one. You have to win game two. You have to put Miami back on their heels. And if you're capable of doing that at home, protecting home court, then you're going to make the series easier for yourself. Nobody is saying that this is going to be easy. Nobody is saying that this is going to be a cakewalk or anything like that. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think that Miami's a better team than the Lakers were. I actually do genuinely believe that. I think that Denver is well-suited to play against a team like Miami, though. And I think that Denver is as hungry as they've ever been. And the rust is not going to affect that. That's not going to be what Denver is, what, Denver, what Denver's all about. 
they are going to be just fine on that front. So we will see what ultimately happens. I'm going to save my prediction for Denvengers, which I believe, if I check my DMs here, that is ultimately going to happen either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, it'll be on this channel as well, so should be a lot of fun. But folks, Michael, can you hit that outro music? Uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. Again, I'll be back on Denvengers. I don't think I'm going to have another podcast outside of Denvengers before Game 1 on Thursday, but obviously you're going to get a whole bunch of reactions from me, a whole bunch of podcast content from me on that end. Should be a lot of fun. Folks, I'm looking forward to this. We are going to see what it ultimately looks like. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, let's go Nuggets. Talk to you guys very soon.